Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who's striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every episode, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 26.1, the first episode in a series where we're going to give the underdog some attention. Imagine that you're a composer, and a good one at that, but you have a family member who's also a composer, and they're extremely popular. So popular, in fact, that their music is going to be remembered for hundreds of years. What does that do to your ego? How do you find the ambition to compose? Well, today, hundreds of years later, we're going to celebrate your work and give you some of that intention that was likely robbed by years of living with your famous family member. Today's episode turns the spotlight from a father to a son. And not just any father. We're talking about the father of Western music itself. Today, we're going to explore the work of Carl Philip Emanuel Bach, more commonly called CPE Bach, son of the most defining composer in music history, Johann Sebastian Bach. Carl was born in the year 1714. He was the fifth child in the Bach family, following the tragic losses of children number three and four, a set of newborn twins. Growing up in a house with Johann Sebastian Bach as your father, he had little choice but to learn music, which young Karl did exceedingly well. His father encouraged him to study at university, knowing that a musician with a college degree would be treated better in his career, regardless of the degree's relevance. So Karl studied law at the University of Leipzig, and graduated in the year 1738. Although he would never practice law, or even effectively use his degree in any manner. He, instead, was destined for a career in music, so he accepted a position at the University of Frankfurt as a teacher and composer. His reputation grew as a prominent harpsichord and organ teacher. Remember, the piano was not quite invented yet and he eventually started to attract the attention of prominent nobility. He was offered a position at the royal court of Crown Prince Frederick of Prussia in 1740. Even though Prince Frederick, who was now King Frederick, shared the same name as his father, his ruling philosophy was night and day compared to the authoritarian, militaristic Frederick I. Frederick II was an avid supporter of the arts, he himself was a flute player, and he ushered in a wave of culture and music to Berlin, helping it become an epicenter during the Age of Enlightenment. Karl was now a member of one of the most skilled musical ensembles in Europe. The court also had a second harpsichord player, so Karl was only on service half of the time. This allowed him freedom for other academic pursuits, like writing one of the most prolific musical texts of the century. Essay on the True Art of Playing Keyboard Instruments, 
Things at the Prussian court were going swimmingly, and the monarch in charge was an avid supporter of music, but maybe a little too much. When you're the one supporting and paying for the musical operation, certain allowances are made. Frederick the Great may have been a great leader, but he was definitely not given that moniker for being a great musician. Nevertheless, Frederick the Great was often a featured soloist at court on flute, accompanied by Karl on the harpsichord. He was reported to take liberties with the beat, playing at whatever tempo he wished at any particular time. At the end of one of these less-than-great royal performances, a devoted sycophant exclaimed, Your Majesty, what rhythm? While Karl muttered under his breath, What rhythms? But if an overenthusiastic monarch is the worst of your problems, life in the royal court must have been pretty comfortable. That is, until the reality of geopolitics burst your musical bubble. The War of Seven Years erupted throughout Europe in 1756. King Frederick was often away, consumed by the war, and had little time to spend in Berlin supporting the music scene. The musicians were also getting paid a fifth of what they once were, as the economy had plummeted. Thus, the court largely dissolved. Berlin was eventually occupied by Russia in 1758, at which point Karl permanently left court. Karl continued to steadily compose, perform, and teach throughout his years, but his next prominent role was as Kapellmeister in Hamburg, a position that required him to compose music for the Protestant churches in the city. He ended up being known as the finest musician in Hamburg, with many prospective musicians seeking him out as their teacher. After a successful career and rich life, Karl Bach passed away from a chest ailment in 1788 at the age of 74. As a son of arguably the greatest name in Western music, I would say he lived up to his predestined legacy. Speaking of his father, Johann Sebastian, now he was the man who cemented the concepts of major and minor into Western music and promoted extravagant, intricate music in the Baroque style. His son Karl honored his father's Baroque legacy at the beginning of his career in the court of Frederick the Great, but when he left for Hamburg, he was no longer restricted by the conservative tastes of court. His father's death in 1750 often marks the ending of the Baroque period, and Karl picked up his father's torch and steered the world of music into a more daring, experimental phase. These keyboard works, which buck the norm, were some of the first examples of sonata form, a style of music that composers like Mozart and Beethoven would utilize to usher in the era of music known as the classical period. Mozart admired Karl so much, in fact, that he once said, Bach is the father. We are the children. And with that, Karl's own musical legacy was born connecting his father's Baroque origins to Mozart's classical age. He was the bridge that vaulted musical progress well into the 19th century. So let's take a look at one of these works that Karl Bach wrote that was formative in creating the sonata form, a style of music that would dominate the compositions of Haydn, Beethoven, and Mozart. Today we're going to hear C.P.E. Bach's 
Sonata in B minor. Movement 1. H-132. Now this may be labeled a sonata, but the sonata form was still in the early phase of development. The sonata form that we're used to hearing is broken down into three parts. The establishment of two themes in the exposition, the harmonic playground of the development, and the callback of the two themes in the recapitulation. Karl Bach's sonata in B minor is just starting to lay the groundwork for what we would eventually recognize as sonata form in the oncoming classical period, but it's not quite there yet. This sonata movement is essentially an elongated exposition section. It's a side-by-side -side presentation of two very similar themes. Theme 1 opens in the key of B minor. It's music fit for a harpsichord, quick moving notes with some ornamental flourishes. The harpsichord was not effective at sustaining notes for very long, so composers had to keep things moving. To further my point, Bach leads the theme into a driving section of oscillating 16th notes in the left hand. Then we jump into theme number two. Theme two is very similar in structure to the first half of this movement, but Bach employs a harmonic shift that would be adopted by many sonatas in the future. We started this movement in the key of B minor, but Bach shifts the second theme to the relative major key of D major. Along with a modulation to the dominant key, a shift to the relative major or minor is one of the most popular modulations in Western classical music, especially during the classical era. This movement is lacking the formal structure that would be developed in the future by the likes of Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven, but we can see Bach laying the bricks to that road here. So let's have a listen to this bridge from Baroque to classical music. This is CPE Bach's Sonata in B minor. Movement 1, H-132.
And as a bonus, I couldn't let an episode where we talk about the legacy of CPA Bach go by without mentioning his most famous piece, the Solfagetto. You might even recognize it from an episode of Breaking Bad, where one of the characters hammers this out in a guitar shop. This is a favorite amongst piano students, because it's one of those rare pieces that sounds more difficult than it actually is to play. It's a straight run of 16th notes in the style of a Baroque toccata that is almost entirely monophonic, meaning that only one note is played at a time. Here's the beginning so you can get the gist of the sound. This piece is included in a lot of student books because it teaches seamless fluidity between the hands, picking up where the other left off, and it also encourages playing at an even tempo with the dreaded metronome. Although I'm sure if you set a metronome to my recording, it would not be accurate, so don't even bother. More advanced players will even use this piece as an exercise to play with only the left hand. This unfortunately changes the piece to being more difficult to play than it sounds. So that is just not something I'm interested in learning. <laughs> so here is my two-handed recording of CPE Box Solfagetto. Carl Philip Emanuel Bach. He had some big shoes to fill. I think his father would have been proud. Next episode, we're going to jump forward to the Romantic era, where we're going to discuss a composer in the midst of a sibling rivalry. Talk to you then. You can find the standalone recordings of the pieces we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks heard on this podcast and more. If you'd like to reach out, email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it also helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember... The piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.